wife, um, although she cares nothing about football, uh, she gets kind of excited about Super Bowl Sunday. And I appreciate that because I get kind of excited about Super Bowl Sunday. And when the Colts aren't, aren't playing, at least Peyton is playing. And so uh, you can say amen, that's okay. And one of my favorite parts about Super Bowl weekend is that, as you may know, there are a, there's a two-week period in which we know who's going to play in the Super Bowl. Um, and for that whole two weeks, Sarah knows nothing about what's going on. But the day before the Super Bowl, she goes to the grocery store and gets snacks and stuff. And it's not uncommon for her to come home with cupcakes for the Super Bowl. The kids love them. Um, it's not because I love them, but, you know, the kids love them. And, oh, I love cupcakes, too. Uh, <laughs> But she comes home uh, yesterday with these cupcakes and she says, um, well, I, I now know who's in the Super Bowl because of the options and cupcakes. And I, I think it's funny that we have this two-week period where everyone in the world seems to know who's in, but she just doesn't care. And so she doesn't find out until yesterday. But yesterday she came home and she said, well, because uh, I know that Peyton Manning plays for Denver, I went for Denver and not for Omaha. <laughs> because there's only two cities in the world where this is true this weekend, but... In Denver and in Indianapolis, there are no Seahawks cupcakes, I'm sure of it. Um, so the two options were Omaha and Denver, and I had to explain that Omaha doesn't have a team. Um, but the fact is that after tonight, football season is over. But we're sort of in the heart of college basketball season, which is good because just around the corner is March Madness. And I'm sure that all of you know by now that uh, if you fill out a perfect March Madness bracket, you could win one billion dollars, and that's courtesy of, of Warren Buffett, and your odds of winning are something like one in 9.2 quintillion, which I think a quintillion is a one with 18 zeros after it, but I, I sort of lose count after a lot of zeros. So uh, you have not very good odds, but if you win, remember, you know, 10% to the church. <laughs> um, so one billion dollars from, from Warren Buffett, because he's one of the few people in the world that could afford to do such a thing. Um, and so when we think about rich people, uh, sometimes we think about or we're tempted to just think about people like Warren Buffett. But Warren Buffett is sort of in the category of like crazy, stupid rich that, that even, if, even if you were a young person with a 5, 10, and 20-year plan, I don't think the plan includes like Warren Buffett money. So the fact is that most of us think of being rich as being a few steps away from where we are now, like a nicer car and a bigger house and a nicer community. If we were just a few steps beyond where we are today, then we would be uh, rich. And Steve uh, reminded us all last week um, that for us, living in the most wealthy country in the history of the world, we already are rich. You and I, just by virtue of the fact that we're here today, If you have a a house, a a shelter, um, a car, a computer, um, we're rich. And we can tell that because of the kinds of struggles that we struggle with today. Uh, For example, if you ever struggle with bad cell phone coverage, you know, you're rich. If you ever get frustrated with slow internet speed, um, you're rich. If you're worried about all these snow days and how they're going to affect your summer vacation plans, or, or if you're worried about or wondering about what you're going to do for spring break, where you're going to go. Um, You're rich. If you ever have dealt with flight delays, if you have ever had a boil order on your water because of a water main break or something, 
um, you're rich. If you've ever bought Super Bowl cupcakes, <laughs> right, we are rich. And so regardless of whether we feel rich, compared to the rest of the world, we are. And it's important that we just say it right now. This is not a feel guilty, you have too much type of series, okay? But, but it's important to realize that this label of rich applies to more than just Warren Buffett. And it's important because we're going to talk about a directive that we find in Scripture that's directed to rich people like you and me. And it comes from a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to his apprentice Timothy. Um, and we're going to read that in a second. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. So God, thanks for this place. Um, thanks for meeting us here. Thanks that we all get to be together in community with you. And thanks for your word. Um, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would speak uh, through me, but, but to all of us so that we could know more about you and about what you want for our lives. So thank you for your grace that you would uh, put all this in writing so that we could read it. And thank you for putting us in a place that we're able to have access to your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus, in his name. Amen. So uh, if you remember you were here last week, we, we started by reading uh, some words from a book called First Timothy. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to his apprentice Timothy. And Timothy was in a place called Ephesus. And uh, Paul writes these words. First uh, Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. He writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So the Apostle Paul uh, had Christians from the church in Ephesus in mind when he wrote these words. Ephesus, this port city uh, in the Mediterranean, known for its trade and its wealth. Uh, And because the people in this church were in this city, the church was probably full of prosperous wealthy people too. And so, uh, at least they were wealthy in in comparison to to other people in the area. And so Paul says, command those who are rich in the present world. And he's talking about the Christians in Ephesus. And because of our uh, status today and where we sit in the world and in the time of the world, he's talking to us too. So we're going to look at, again this week, what it means to be rich, this time in our willingness to share. And if you look at the text again, Paul says, the secret to being rich is to do good to be generous, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. Now, right now, I noticed, right as I got to this point uh, in the the Scripture, that we've already been commanded to do good, to be rich in good deeds and in generosity, and really isn't sharing just the same as those things? Isn't it just more of the same? If I'm generous with my money, if I'm generous with my time, aren't I sharing those things? But Paul must have had something different in mind. So uh, I started to think about sharing a little differently. And we know at the Davis house, at my house, all about sharing. Because we have a two-year-old. And so we're learning to share. And, and we're baby-stepping into it. Uh, but some of you may relate. When, when Lena, my two-year-old daughter, who's gorgeous and awesome and all those things, but when she has something that she loves, uh, we have a hard time convincing her to share. Now, uh, she loves this because... 
You can't see, but it has Minnie Mouse. I mean, Mickey's cool, and I think it's her first crush, which is cute. But Minnie is the one that she loves the most of anything else in the world. So if it's a Minnie Mouse thing, she has a hard time sharing it, and she'll say something like, but Daddy, it's mine. And so she doesn't like to share things that are hers. And uh, because she's two, we, we baby step into this. And, and when, she's, when I say, um, you need to share that with Madeline, then Lena will say, but Daddy, it's mine. And my response is, you're right. It is yours. And you'll get it back, but let's take turns. So sort of the introductory level of sharing for her is taking turns, which is completely different then later when she asks me to share my ice cream. Because I'm not getting any of that back. <laughs> so uh, as adults, I've noticed that we have things like this for us too. Um, some things that we're just kind of reticent to share. And so I wondered what a list might be, so I asked around. I asked Facebook, and, uh, and I sent some emails, and I got some responses back. There are things as adults that we think are bad ideas to share, and we just don't want to do it. And the number one thing at the very top of the list was a toothbrush. And for those of you who are really concerned, like if that would have been your initial response, if I asked you what don't you want to share, if that was your initial thing was toothbrush, you should probably know so that you don't freak out. I'm never using this one again because it's been on this stand and things like that. So uh, my toothbrush, my toothbrush, my deodorant, uh, my handkerchief. Really, it's your handkerchief that I don't want to share, okay? But my dessert, my chips and salsa, no matter if we have an agreement on a double dipping or no double dipping, my salsa bowl is my salsa bowl, okay? So get out of there. My pillow, my bathing suit, my nasal spray. Um, I got a weird one back, my bath water. Obviously, I'm getting some fresh bath water, right? But that was a little gross. Um, my nose hair trimmer, my toothpick, yeah, yeah. My earbuds, my earplugs, my bath towel. And then sort of the non-hygienic things, um, I got back, someone said, I'm not sharing my Colts season tickets, my remote control, uh, or my morning coffee. For me, it's a, a Coca-Cola. But uh, when I think of sharing, those are the things that come to mind first. But I think the Apostle Paul had something different in mind. Something different. Because it's one thing to be generous, and to be generous from a distance. Generosity matters, and it's really important. Um, but the Apostle Paul, he does sort of say, be generous with your gifts and resources. But it's deeper than that, because then he says, be willing to share, be rich in sharing. And so the word share, to understand a little more about it, we're going to have a little Greek lesson. It comes from the New Testament Greek word koinonia. And I think I'm saying it right, and unless you guys are Greek studiers, you don't know if I'm right or not. So koinonia, it's one of those words, though, that the English language, people that study this say, English doesn't have a a literal translation, translation equivalent. So when they talk about this word, they'll say things like, the word embraces concepts conveyed in the English terms of community, communion, sharing, intimacy, fellowship. Um, it's more closely aligned to a partnership where people have shares in common of a common asset. So uh, in the New Testament, the word actually appears as fellowship, participation, contribution, and sharing. And in this case, it appears as sharing. And it's the first time it appears in the New Testament as sharing is in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to spend some time there this morning. In in Acts chapter 2, we get this incredible example, a picture actually of 
of a group of people, people like you and me, who were rich in sharing. And Luke is the, the writer, um, historian here, and he's credited with copying down this, this example of what the early church looked like. And so turn to Acts 2, start in verse 42, and it says this, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So you see how many times the word sharing showed up in just those few verses. Um, The people of the first church, the people in this Christ-centered community, knew how and were ready and willing to share. It says that they gave their, shared their money and resources. They shared with those who were in need. And they shared their homes and time and life with each other. One of my favorite parts about the scripture is we're also told about their attitude regarding sharing. Their attitude was, you probably caught it, was one of great joy. One of great joy. So in all the sharing, in all the community, it wasn't like an obligatory thing. They didn't feel like it was a burden. It said that they had great joy about the whole thing. So the type of sharing that Paul talks about here is a sharing that requires relationship. It's more personal. It's about sharing in community that requires proximity, right? You need to be close to people, and it requires a time investment in people. And it's about the sharing that we could do with the people closest to us. In our case, Genesis Church. And so remember here that Paul's explaining the secret to being rich is to be rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, and it's in your notes, rich in sharing. So sharing's apparently a big deal to God. And I would guess that most of us would say that we're fans of sharing. We're in favor of sharing as a general concept, um, especially if you have something I need to borrow. Then again, I'm all about sharing. But how about true sharing? The sharing that, that's uh, described by Paul. I mean, when I read the scriptures, I'm forced to ask myself, how often do I practice true sharing, true community with the people of this church and the people that are around me today? It's about more than sharing my my truck with someone who's moving. It's about sharing my life, my time, my concern, my emotional investment. I'm emotionally investing in other people. So how are we doing at sharing and connecting with others here at Genesis? Um, I have noticed some things about me, in addition to the list I already read, some deeper things that I really don't like to share. Things like my embarrassments and my failures and my shame my brokenness, my struggles, it is hard to be vulnerable to the point that I'm going to share those things with somebody else. Um, It's much easier to share my lawnmower and it's harder to share my story. Now, you can get part of my story on Facebook and I will share with you filtered, edited, carefully selected photos of me and my family in which we all look very happy and we all look very nice. Um, I can post opinions and statements, and you should know that I never post anything without at least three drafts. You know, I'm very careful in how I relate these things on Facebook or Twitter or the pictures on Instagram. But true community, true sharing is much different than our online 
ourselves and our online communities. It's about sharing things like a meal. It's about sharing our stories. And it's about creating shared experiences. So some of my best friends, whether from high school or college or after, are people that I have shared experiences with. And they are my very, some of my very best friends. And so some of you will say, you're right, that was high school, that was college. Because I'm not going to live in a dorm with someone again, like, I'm never going to have that kind of friendship again. But I'm not talking just about friendship. I'm talking about community. So we're going to invest with those around us. And if it's a challenge for you, because it's a challenge for me sometimes, um, what is keeping you from doing this? Um, it might be the challenge of busyness. So I just don't have time to share my life and my community with others at the church because I've got enough going on at home and at work. Or maybe it's the barrier of individualism. Uh, Steve, I'm an introvert. It just, it's just who I am. I don't, I don't need other people and they don't need me. And uh, why would I do this when I just don't need it? I'm fine on my own. Others of you, maybe it's the fear of getting burned. Maybe you tried this before. I did this whole community thing at my last church and it didn't work out. And I'm not going to do it again. It can be uncomfortable. Vulnerability is hard and, and I certainly understand that. But I can't get past what these words say. Scripture's commanding us to do it over and over again. And we read it in Scripture, the value and importance of community. For example, in Philippians 2, the first couple verses suggest that when the church is working well, that we're in fellowship together and with the Spirit, being, it says, one in spirit and purpose. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7 say that when we have fellowship with Him, we can walk in the light, having fellowship with one another. And in Romans 12, it uses this concept of one another several times. It says, we are, when we're devoted to one another, when we're in harmony to, with one another, when we're in community with one another, that's, that's when we're making believers. So the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, full of this wisdom and encouragement to be in community together. And then we get this 2,000-year-old snapshot um, from Acts 2 of what the first church is like. And it is fascinating. It's fascinating to me because it's included. So I understand that it's included that Jesus ascended into heaven. It's included that the Holy Spirit comes as promised, that the church is born, that in one day the church grew from 120 to more than 3,000 people. But then it's included... We get this inside look into the first church. I think it's only there because He has us in mind. God wants us to know. He wants us to be reminded that the early body worked and it was rich in sharing. And so we're supposed to see it and learn from it. So this example of a church and community where people are sharing meals and sharing resources, being in their homes together, even sharing property and possessions, that's the kind of community where if one hurts all hurt. And where one celebrates, they can all celebrate together. And it says that they did all this with great joy. Very cool that we're now also enlightened as to the result of these things. Um, Acts 2 verse 47 says, the result of all this sharing was that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So at least three great outcomes from rich sharing and community as we see in Acts Acts 2. It's in your notes. God is glorified. So you'll see that when when their number is being added to daily, I mean, God is getting all this credit and honor and praise 
because of what's happening in and among the people and community as they shared. Um, Second, they are enjoying each other. They are experiencing genuine relationships and community with each other, and it's fun. It's not a task. It's It's not hard once you're in it. It's fun to be in community and to share life uh, with other people. And third, this group in Acts 2, they were changing the world. They're making a difference. And I could tell you uh, several stories, many stories, of, of how this type of community, this type of sharing has worked at Genesis over the years in some fantastic celebratory moments um, where, where we've been happy together, but also some horrible, terrible moments. And, and that's the most recent one that comes to mind. And it's, it's a hard story about how community uh, comes together in, in, in hard times. But back in August, uh, Scott and Jen Kashner and their family moved away from Genesis. They moved all the way to Arizona for a new job. And just weeks after arriving there, their five-year-old daughter got a mysterious illness and she died. And it was horrible. And it is sad. And it was painful for them and also for many of you who know and, know and love them. But it didn't take long for you, for the people of this church to respond. Whether you knew them or not, they, they started making um, arrangements to return to Noblesville uh, for the funeral and to be with family. And this church jumped into action and prayed for them and gave to them. And your generosity um, included sharing your homes and your cars and your food in your time. And your generosity in sharing was so great that they eventually had to say, you know, no more. We, we have everything we, we need. And thank you. But it was a great example of the sharing and community and the generosity that Paul is talking about uh, in First Timothy. And it's what we see in Acts 2. So when this kind of community exists, it's powerful. And what happened in Acts? People noticed People on the outside looking in, people who didn't yet know Christ, watched and observed. They saw the love and the sharing that this group was providing to one another and to others. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, the question then is why can't this happen today? Why can't that be the case here at Genesis Church? Right? To be a church where we do more than gather on Sundays but also to gather and meet regularly as friends and family in homes and in apartments and in dorm rooms and right here at the church where no one's left out, where no one hides, where everyone feels and contributes as a member of the family. So Genesis, as you know, it isn't a place. It's a people who care. It's a church where everyone takes the words of the Apostle Paul to heart and we practice being rich in our sharing. Through that, God will be glorified. And we're doing our small part to change the world. So the church in Acts 2 is helping people find their way back to God. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing through us. If you've been around Genesis for very long at all, you know that when we talk about community, we talk about small groups. And specifically, our small groups are called connection groups. And if you're not in a connection group, and if you're not in community with others here at Genesis, um, you are missing out. And I know this because... For the first time in nine years, Sarah and I have not been in a connection group for about six months. And uh, we are just missing out. And so I, I know that you who are not in groups and me who is not in a group, 
we're holding us back from becoming the church God has in mind for us. Now, groups are not the only example of community, but it's a great step in the community. It's something we value. And so um, if you're not in a group, my challenge is going to be for you to get in one. But if you're not sure what all this group's stuff is about, um, maybe this will help. Christian life is meant to be lived in community. Here at Genesis, our connection groups are one of the best ways for you to meet others who attend this church and for you to grow in your relationship with God. Relationships are one of the most tangible ways that God shows His love for us. And in fact, in Ephesians 4, we're told that the body of Christ, the people of the church, are designed to build one another up and to support one another. God provides people to pray for us and to serve us to encourage us in difficult times and to celebrate with us in good times. And I love hearing people share about how a connection group here at Genesis has impacted and made a difference in their life. Oh, this group has um, just been wonderful in my life. It's been such an addition. We talk to each other throughout the week. We email each other. We support each other. It is a huge blessing in my life because I just really, really love all the women and the discussions that we have, and I'm kind of addicted to it. My connection group has taught um, my wife and I so many things about um, relationships, friendships, and uh, we've learned more than I could have ever imagined um, about ourselves. It's a place where we can go and just do life with people and be real with each other. And through that, I really realized how, what community is supposed to be like. Um, and I've found genuine friendships and people that have really encouraged me to love Jesus and just follow Him. After graduating college, I kind of had a hard time finding my place in the church and finding a core group of friends. So this group has been a good opportunity for me to make friends and to feel that community aspect of the church. God's used it tremendously to bring me back to Him, um, to grow my walk with Him, and um, just to change my perspective on life. It's my family, and it's the highlight of my week. I've come to church, and I've been involved with the host team, but I was lacking in something, and getting involved here with the women's group on Wednesday mornings, um, I feel like I belong somewhere, and I feel like I'm not doing things alone anymore. I'm getting so much wisdom from it, and. I can go home and be a better mom and be a better wife because of it. There's something inside of us that comes alive when we feel that connection with someone else. Even if it is a burden or a sorrow, uh, there is a richness that comes from uh, being connected to other believers. And uh, that richness is what I've found in my connection group. If you're not currently attending a connection group, now would be a great time to join one. Starting February 9th, we are beginning an eight-week study called Follow Me. This Connection Group study will partner with a sermon series as well. And we're going to spend eight weeks seeking to answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're going to look at some of the basic principles of the Christian faith. There are several Follow Me groups available. Some meet on campus and some meet in homes. But there are four simple steps that you can take today to join a group. First, visit our Connection Group page online at genesischurch.me. Second, view our list of groups and select the group that best fits your schedule and location. 
Third, sign up for the group by simply entering your name and your email. And lastly, your group leader will follow up with you with details and confirm your registration. If you are hungry to grow in your relationship with God and you want to experience more of Genesis Church than just attending on Sunday morning, I want to encourage you, join a connection group by signing up online today. So if you are here last week, we challenged you last week to take a step in the area of generosity. And today I want to challenge you to take a step into community here at Genesis. So don't just attend church. Let's, let's be the church. And for some of you, that next step is to find a group. Find a group where you can start living, sharing, and experiencing community with others. Um, give it a try. Put those fears aside. Now's a great time because we're asking uh, for this eight-week commitment. Not, not from now till Jesus comes back, but for the next eight weeks. Um, it's, I understand that it can be hard to take that first step, but it's a low-level commitment, eight-week commitment for huge rewards, huge rewards. And there are um, all types of groups. As Kevin said in the video, we've got groups that meet sort of everywhere in all kinds of homes all over the place, but there's also even a group that's going to meet right here uh, on campus, and Chad and Stephanie Lesnet are going to lead that group Find a group, get involved. Um, just outside these doors, as you walk out, there's going to be an opportunity there to get more information. Um, you can go to our website and get more info. And if you're still stuck after all that, call the church office. We will find a way. We'll get you in a group. Um, maybe you need to start one. I, I don't know, but let's, let's get into groups together. For those of you who are already in groups, think about a way to connect more deeply. Think about a way to, uh, to grow. Maybe your group is feeling kind of full and it's time to separate and grow into new groups. Maybe, maybe you have been going to your group for a long time, but you haven't really been participating in the discussion. So the, the second challenge you know, is to, to do that, to be more deep. But I'm not just talking, by the way, to adults. So we're saying get in groups. I'm not just talking to adults. Maybe you have uh, high school kids or, or, or middle school students. If you're not a part of our student ministry yet, I want to challenge you to take that step. Get connected with other students. Uh, 20 of our high school students just got back from a weekend retreat in Michigan, and three of them said things that I want to share with you. The first said, it means a lot to me to be able to spend time with the Genesis Youth Group. I feel like they are some of the most important people to have during high school. The Youth Group students are people that you, con you are constantly studying God with, and you know them different than students at school. I think this means so much to be able to get to know them on a deeper level. Second student said, I gained a lot of confidence over the retreat. I needed a lot of encouraging and mental boosting, and God really gave me that at Spring Hill along with the other people I was with. I also gained a deeper bond with other students I feel that I could have never gotten otherwise. And third, these relationships are important to me because I think they're uh, very important for me to carry on a day-to-day -day relationship with God. I see them on Sunday and on Wednesday, the beginning and middle of the week, so they give me reminders and encouragement throughout the week. It's also special to have good friends who want to talk about Jesus because you do not get that a lot at school. So not just for students either. Not just adults and not just students, but for kids too. Great things are happening at our Gen Kids ministry. And it's not too soon for your kid to be developing relationships with others. I mean, there's... There's a two-year-old classroom back there right now 
with a little girl who's not sharing with someone. <laughs> that could be your kid. Lena could be not sharing with yours. But um, some of my greatest friendships were formed starting with the groups at church. So whoever you are, find a group and get connected to others. And if you're already in a group, form that deeper connection. Um, second, pick away and practice being rich in sharing. Practice it. Whether you're in a group or getting in a group, don't just sign up and attend. Do something in the next week to share with others. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe it's someone you sort of know. Maybe it's someone you really want to know. But share a meal with someone. Invite them into your home. Don't just share your stuff, but remember, share your time and be together. And finally, it's, it's, it's not in your notes, but it's a great next step anytime. And that's pray about what your next step should be. I think some of you might be thinking, I'm in, Steve. I believe what you're saying. Scripture is true, and um, I want to be in relationship and share in community with people, but I can't find anyone. Or no one welcomes me in, and I'm lonely, and I want this, but I've tried a group, and it just doesn't work. So let's pray. Pray that God will do the work in your heart, in your life, and do the work in the hearts of others that you're going to be in community with. Let's prepare that. Let's set that stage. God can do that. And He can help you take the right next step for you to engage in real sharing and real community. So remember that the church is not a place. It's not a building or a worship service. It's not just those things. It's people. And when it's working right, it's people together in the name of Jesus, living and sharing in community with one another. Remember, in Acts 2, the Lord added to their number daily the number of those who are being saved, and He'll do the same through us too. So the secret to being rich, then, Paul said, I command you, be rich in sharing. All right, pray with me. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for this day. Thanks for this community. We pray right now that you'd be preparing our hearts for our next step, that you'd be preparing the people with whom we're going to be in community very soon. And we pray that you would help us to share ourselves, that you would remove the fear, remove the burdens, allow us to join a group, to take a next step, to meet some people that we can connect with in the kind of way that that you're talking about here, God. Again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who died for us so that we can all come together knowing that we share him in common. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.